happening. There I am. The Bible teaches us that we should give honor uh, when honor is due, and this morning I want to honor a group of people, all of our veterans. So if you are a veteran, I'd love for you to stand right now uh, so that we can honor you. Thank you so much for your service of bravery. We appreciate and thank you guys so much. You can have a seat. I wanted to do that, like I said, because it's important that we show honor and give honor when honor is due, but the person whom we should honor the most is God himself, and so let's do that by going to prayer this morning. God, we thank you so much that you are the God of justice, of love, of mercy, and compassion, and we just give you all the honor and glory and praise. We thank you for these brave men and women um, who have served uh, to protect our freedoms here in this country, who've given us uh, freedom to vote and have a voice in government, but what we value and we treasure is this freedom uh, to practice our faith in you. Uh, But God, I pray that regardless of where this country may stand, we anchor ourselves and put our hope in you alone because you, above all else, deserve all the honor. And today, God, I pray as we look into your word and we look at the concept in your teaching about generosity, I pray that you soften our hearts and that your word would convict us. Where we need to be encouraged, we'd be encouraged. Where we need to be rebuked, we would be rebuked. Where we need to be strengthened, we would be strengthened. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. This morning, I want to ask a main question to start my message, and that is, do you live with an abundance mindset, meaning that there's more than enough, and therefore I can give generously, or do you live with a scarcity mindset, that there's not enough, and therefore I should store up and take and keep for myself? And the reason I ask that question is because today we're going to be talking about this topic of being generous or giving for our community. And when we talk about generosity, finances, money, resources, capital, wealth, goods, there's really only two ways to approach material things, two ways to think about our money and resources, two mindsets to have. Either there's enough or there's not. Either there's an abundance or things are scarce. One of these focuses on what we do not have. The other focuses on what has been given to us. One of these ways leads to anxiety, abuse, selfishness, and greed. The other leads to generosity, to blessing, and to freedom. Just eight months ago, I can almost guarantee that everyone in this room and everyone watching online was living with a scarcity mindset. I definitely was. I went back. I remember uh, that I had, was doing this with the grocery stores, right? Going into the grocery stores, the shelves were empty, and basic staple items like eggs and bread and milk and meat, you're limited on how much you could buy and purchase. And man, who could forget the toilet paper fiasco, right? 2020 has been a tough year. And then cleaning supplies, Lysol wipes, bleach, hand sanitizer, all those things, things were scarce. And I remember doing this, and actually, matter of fact, I went back and looked uh, this week. Uh, I had texted Cassie, and I found that text message. It was from March 12th. Wow, doesn't that seem like a world ago? March 12th, I texted Cassie, and I told her, I said, I'm going to leave work early before everybody else gets off at 5 o'clock, and I'm going to head to the grocery store and get some of those basic items, those things that we're either running low on or we probably won't 
get if we don't get it now. And so I remember going in, it was Walmart, and I went in down the paper goods aisle, and there was maybe 15 packs of, of paper towels left, and maybe I'm being a little generous in saying there was 15 left. And there was another woman in the aisle, and I remember saying to her as I was going to grab one of those last 15 packs of paper towels, and I said, wow, this is sad. And I felt guilty, and I even said to her, I know that by taking this, I'm only contributing to the problem. But if I don't do this now, then we're not going to have any later. And I went through the rest of the store and continued to grab my items. And to be honest with you guys, I, we lived that way for a couple of months. This scarcity mindset that there wasn't enough and therefore it was every man for himself. Now, perhaps that's an extreme example, but there's been a lot of extremes this year. A moment of weakness, no doubt for me, but the reality is Almost since the beginning of time, humans have been operating and living out of a scarcity mindset. And I intentionally said almost since the beginning of time, because in the beginning, when God created and God made the heavens and the earth, scarcity was far from view. I'm going to read this morning just a few of the select passages from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And as I do, I want you to hear and listen to and see the abundance, the bountiful, lavish resources that God created, provided, and gave to humanity. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 11, and it says this, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation. And I want to pause here for just a moment because this is, this is the abundance I'm talking about. God didn't just give us fruit. He didn't just give us trees that have fruit on it. He made it and created it so that these trees would keep producing fruit, that there would be enough an abundance. And it goes on to say, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Over in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 15 of chapter 2 and through 17, it says this, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Did you hear that language of abundance, of plenty, of bounty, of goodness? God blessed us with a world of plenty, a world of enough. God blessed us with a world of abundance. But you likely know how the story goes. All of that bounty, all of that plenty still wasn't enough. The first two humans, Adam and Eve, were tempted by Satan to eat from the one tree in the middle of, gar in the, middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one they are commanded not to eat from. The story goes like this in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What has happened here is that Adam and Eve are operating as if God is holding out on them, that there's not an abundance anymore because there's one thing that they cannot have. Now, Adam and Eve knew that God had given them an abundance. Matter of fact, Eve even said to the serpent, we may eat from any tree in the garden. There was a plenty. They knew they had the ability to eat from any of those trees except the one. And what's interesting to me is it's obvious that Eve is focusing on what she does not have instead of what she's been given. And part of the reason why Eve was tempted was because the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's described as being this, good for food and pleasing to the eye. Did you know that that is the exact same description, the exact same description that was given to every other tree in the garden? the plenty that God had already provided with them for. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 says, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But that wasn't enough. Adam and Eve thought God was holding out, so they succumbed to the temptation to doubt the goodness of God and ignore God's generosity. Even in a world of abundance, Adam and Eve operated with a scarcity mindset. See, at the very heart of this whole story, really at the heart of generosity, is this concept of trust. Do you trust that what God has provided is enough? Adam and Eve did not trust that what God had provided was enough. And so they took for themselves. They focused on what they did not have instead of what they had been given. And this seems to have been a generational effect in the book of Genesis. The Bible Project puts it this way, when humanity operates out of a distrustful scarcity mindset, they begin to justify selfish behavior. And oh, isn't that true? That's exactly what I did in Walmart. I know I'm only contributing to the problem, but if I don't do this for me, I'm justifying my own selfish behavior. But even still, Even though that is what happened and it was a generational effect, God still did not give up on humanity, nor did he withdraw his generosity. God chose out of all the nations on earth, one nation and one people to restore the blessing of his abundance to all nations. He chose the people of Israel and he started with a man by the name of Abraham. And we can see this story fold out in Genesis in chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and it says this, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God intended to restore the blessing of abundance and plenty to all nations through the one nation, Israel. And he started by just simply blessing them. 
And did God bless the nation of Israel? Absolutely. He blessed Abraham with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He blessed the people of Israel with a land, a land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. God blessed Israel, but he blessed them to be a blessing to the nations. So yes, God was going to bless the nation of Israel, and he did, but God also commanded them to bless others with generosity. God blessed Israel to be a blessing to the nations. This idea of God's blessing and abundant generosity towards Israel, as well as their command to be generous, can be seen all throughout the Old Testament. For example, in the law of Moses, even when it came time for the harvest, they were commanded to be generous. Check out this verse from the book of Leviticus chapter 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19. Not for sure that it's up on the screen here yet, but maybe we'll get that soon. But if you're a farmer, you understand this command, don't you? That when it comes to harvesting your fields, instead of harvesting the crop to the very corner of the field, what you're supposed to do instead is as you came to the corner, you're supposed to round out the edges, leaving the very corners and the edges for the poor and the foreigner. See, God was going to bless the people of Israel with a crop, even a crop of an abundance, giving them enough, but they were to be a blessing to the poor by leaving some of that crop for them trusting that God had and would continue to provide. They could trust that even if they didn't harvest every last bundle of grain and every last vine of grapes, God would still provide and there would be enough for everyone. But God's blessing and generosity and their command to be generous wasn't just in their law books. No, the people of Israel, it was in their history literature as well. At the dedication of God's temple, we see the people of Israel through the song that they sing, that they recognize that God has abundantly blessed them and he is over and is in charge of everything. First Chronicles says this, it says the people rejoice at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying this, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. And then catch this, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. They recognize everything belonged to God. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor they don't come from us. No, it says they come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. First Chronicles 29. See, this truth about God being generous, God being over everything, not just in their law books, not just in their history books, it was also in their wisdom literature. Proverbs teaches this, Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to who? The Lord. And he'll reward them for what they have done. Even the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of the generosity of God and also the need to trust God in his generosity. It says this in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And a good Bible scholar would let you know that this is the one area where we're able to test God in. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I don't know if you caught on to what I was doing there, but the reason I wanted to take you through certain passages of the Old Testament is because I wanted to show you the rich heritage and way of thinking entrenched in ancient Jewish thought that God has abundantly blessed the people of Israel, but also they were commanded to abundantly bless others. Over and over in the Old Testament, we see the abundant blessing of God given to the people of Israel and how they were taught to live in a mindset that God had provided enough that they could trust him and his abundant blessing. And over and over and over, we see entrenched in the core teachings of the people of Israel that they were to bless the nations out of this abundance. However, you may know how the story goes. Instead of living in the freedom of blessing and abundance, the people of Israel chose to live with a scarcity mindset. They didn't trust in God alone. They sought after other false gods. The prophet Nehemiah said this about their lack of trust. Nehemiah 9.35, even while they were in their kingdom, you know what he's referring to? Even while they were in the land you gave them, in the land of abundance, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness. Some translations say your great abundance. Even while they're enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, still they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. The people of Israel lived with a scarcity mindset thinking that God was holding out on them. And so they went after and searched after false gods, hoping that they would provide something that God couldn't, keeping them from the good and more abundant things, not trusting that what God had provided was enough and all that they needed. See, this scarcity mindset that happened with Adam and Eve, that happened with the people of Israel, has actually plagued all of us. The problem in our world today related to money and resources has nothing to do with the fact that God has withheld his abundant blessing of generosity. It is rather a mindset of scarcity, of not trusting God and needing to take matters into our own hands, feeling the need to take care of me and mine before anyone or anything else. At the heart of the scarcity problem, is not a lack of resources, not a lack of money, but rather the mindset that God cannot be trusted. It's not a resource problem, it's a sin problem. At the beginning of this message, I asked this main question, do you live with an abundant mindset or with a scarcity mindset? And I want to ask a few scenario-type questions to help you determine which of the two mindsets you live in. You don't have to answer these out loud. You don't even have to write them down. I just want you to be honest with yourself. Here's the first question. When you get your paycheck, what's the first thing you do with it? What's the first thought that comes into your mind? Maybe it's not just a paycheck. Maybe it's something that's been gifted to you. We've got the holidays coming up. When something's been gifted to you, what's the first thing you do when you get money in your hands? Question number two, when it comes to giving here at the church, 
which sounds more like you? Is it A, God is first, and so he gets the first 10% of my income even before taxes? Or does this sound more like you? Things are kind of tight this month. Let me get the bills paid, and then whatever's left, then I'll maybe give some to the church. What about this one? Which sounds more like something you would do if you heard that someone was in need? Would you, A, go through your pantry and get rid of those cans you didn't even use for Thanksgiving last year, giving the leftovers? Or would you go out and buy a turkey and give an entire meal? Scarcity. Abundance. My last question, just scenario type. Which more likely sounds like your thought pattern? Is it A, man, it's cold out today. I'm glad I went and bought that new jacket last week. Or B, man, it's cold out today. I wonder what the homeless are going to do to stay warm. I wonder if there's anything I could do to help. I ask those questions not to shame you in hopes that you'll modify your behavior in the next week when it comes to generosity. No, no, no. I ask those questions because how we think and what we do with our possessions, especially our money, reveals where our heart is. Jesus taught this principle very clearly in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is sure to be. There your heart will also be. And since in biblical thought, the heart is closely connected with the mind, these scenario-type questions can reveal to us the kind of mindset you operate in, either that of abundance or scarcity, of trust or distrust. Do you trust that what God has provided is enough? It's all you need, and there's an abundance. Or do you distrust, thinking that he's holding out, things are scarce, and so I need to take matters into my own hands? The reality is all of us have lived or still do live with a scarcity mindset. And because of that, the reality of our current world is not anything like that abundant creation that God made at the very beginning. Our world is far from the abundant blessings that was in the garden. And that's part of the tension of our world today, especially for the Christian, because If you're a Christian, you know that as a follower of Christ, you've been called to be generous, to live with an abundance mindset. However, our world has so much scarcity in it. And so it begs to ask the question, how then should we live? What should we do? If there's a scarcity, but we've been called to trust in the abundant blessings of God, how do we do this? And this is where we need to look at and focus on the gospel and on the life of Jesus looking to his abundant life and death. See, Jesus understood a life of scarcity. He lived under a world of struggle and non-abundance. Jesus grew up under military oppression where people lost their land and families to debt and poverty. Furthermore, Jesus experienced poverty firsthand. He was born into a poor family so poor that at his birth he was laid in a feeding trough, so poor that at his dedication... They couldn't give the normal sacrifice, and so they gave the sacrifice that was required for those who couldn't afford the normal sacrifice, that of a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. But even as Jesus grew older, he didn't come up out of poverty, rise out of poverty. He stayed poor. He even said this, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. He was homeless. 
On multiple occasions, we see Jesus borrowing things throughout the Gospels. He borrowed someone else's boat to travel. He borrowed food to eat. He even borrowed water from a Samaritan woman. And even when he came into Jerusalem, he traveled in on a borrowed colt. He had his last meal in a borrowed upper room. He was crucified on a criminal's cross, stripped naked with no clothes, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus understood poverty. He lived in a world of scarcity. And at the same time, although that was his reality, he also taught his followers this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And he said things like this in his Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? See, even in the scarcity, Jesus invites his followers to live a different story, to live as if there is enough, and to trust in God, to trust that what God has provided is all we need. And Jesus even took it a step further in his own life because the people around Jesus took advantage of Jesus' generosity and this ultimately led to his death. But this was Jesus' plan all along, to die for this lie that God cannot be trusted. And when he gave of himself on the cross, it was the ultimate sign of God's abundant mercy and love for us. Ephesians says, even while we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ Jesus. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the word grace, it means free gift. For you know the free gift. You know the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this great exchange of our poverty for his wealth is also this invitation to live that different story. Jesus, by his death and life-giving resurrection, invites us to trust that God is a generous God who's provided enough to live an abundantly blessed life. Now, don't misunderstand me today. I am not teaching, nor do I adhere to any kind of prosperity gospel. When we live the life that Christ invites us to, trusting in the generous God, things will be rough. They certainly were for Jesus. You and I were not made to get rich off of following Jesus. That's not how it works. However, living the abundantly blessed life in Christ means trusting in the goodness of God and in his generous providence. Now, I want you to catch this truth. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ have been blessed by God. You may remember from earlier that God promised to Abraham that, and the nation of Israel that he would bless them and that all nations on earth would be blessed through them, Genesis 12. But in the New Testament, we're told this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There is neither male or female, for you're all in one in Christ Jesus. Then here's what I want you to catch in verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, what's the promise? Well, the promise given to Abraham that was that God was going to bless him. 
and that all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And that promise has now been given to those of us who have clothed ourselves with Christ. You, through Christ, have been blessed. And man, have you been blessed. Blessed with the abundant generosity and love of God. And if you are not aware of what those blessings are, let me tell you, first and foremost, it's the fact that Jesus' death, his substitutionary death on the cross has been applied to your account. That means he's forgiven you of your sins, wiped them clean, white as snow. But God didn't stop there. God keeps giving. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, his indwelling power to live inside of us to help us live for him. Furthermore, we're taught this in 1 Peter 1, 4, that God has in plan for us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. If you're a Christ follower, you know the word teaches that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You have been blessed. But with that blessing also comes a responsibility. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Now I'm going to pause here for just a moment. I do not have this in my notes uh, because yesterday I was able to speak at this thing called the Vista Challenge over at Lakeside Christian Church in Lakeside Park. But that same Vista Challenge is coming here to Plum Creek on Saturday, starting at 8.45 to noon. You can see that in your program that you picked on your way up, and you will need to sign up for that. But in my session, it's a short session. We're going to be developing this idea a little bit more of blessed to be a blessing and what that means. But don't come on my account because I'm probably the worst speaker there. We'll have Tom Schneller. He's incredible. If you know, he's a member here, former, former elder. Also started Disciple Makers, which is an organization that um, supports a lot of the missions that we support, like in Guatemala and Nepal. Also have a fellow from Ohio traveling down, a fellow by the name of Bruce. And, and then also Jinya Shved, um, very intelligent and smart guy who helped translate the Bible into another language, Crimean Tartar, uh, language that didn't have the Bible in their own language. And he'll be here to speak. So I encourage, it's a little bit of a plug to be here. You'll definitely want to do that because what we're doing is we're taking the Bible and giving you this 30,000 point of view to help you understand the big picture. But back to my message, we've been blessed to be a blessing. We need to trust that what God has provided is enough, that he's not holding out on us, to trust that even when things seem scarce, we can hold on to that abundant blessing of God and still be generous. The generous God of the Old Testament is the same generous God of the New Testament. And he commanded this to the people, and he commanded his people Israel to be generous and he commands his people clothed in Christ to be generous. Here are a few of these teachings from the New Testament. First Timothy chapter 6 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We're also taught this truth, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 
Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Part of my goal this morning was to show you that the consistent teaching of the whole council of scriptures is that our God is a generous God. He is a good, benevolent, and abundantly generous God. But I also wanted to show you that the consistent teachings throughout the whole council of scripture is that God commands his people to be generous. God has blessed us. He has blessed you but he's blessed you to be a blessing to others. And when we walk by the Spirit, seeing and living our life like there is enough, we begin to see opportunities all around us, ways to be generous, to give, to bless others, just as God has blessed us. And what that does to others is astounding. Think about this for a second. If we were truly generous and blessed others the way God has blessed us, at some point, those people would have to ask, why are you so generous when they're so little? If we begin to live in our community in such a way that showed others around us that we trusted that what God has provided is enough, we lived with an abundant mindset. We showed up and gave sacrificially even when there was a shortage that we didn't store up and keep for ourselves, for me and mine first, to build bigger and bigger barns. It would allow us the opportunity to share with others about the God who provides the God who is generous, the God who gives abundantly. See, this gift of giving is meant for others. It's just like Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've been blessed to be a blessing, to give generously, pointing others to give God glory. Plum Creek, let us be for our community by blessing our community through sacrificial generosity so that through our generosity, others might see the God of generosity and give him glory. Let's pray. God, we give you all the honor and glory and praise for indeed you are a generous God. You have not withheld your generous hand from us. You've richly blessed us with every good and perfect gift from above, and we give you all the honor, glory, and praise. But God, we also know that in this abundant blessing, you have called us to bless others. And I pray, God, that we would seek out those opportunities to be a blessing to others so that ultimately they can be drawn to you and give you all the glory. And all this we pray in the name of the risen Lord, the name of Jesus. Amen.